Today in our encounter, we're going to explore the Lord of life. But in order to set the scene, we're back in the cave here where we were two weeks ago to begin our exploration of the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus. Mary and Martha were in agony. Their brother Lazarus had died and his body lay in a cave much like this one. And there in that dark, decaying tomb also laid their hearts as well. They had hope, but it felt distant. It felt like their prayers not only were unanswered, but perhaps unheard. And even when Jesus does arrive, they are almost too broken to hope, to even begin to hope. Both sisters cry out to Jesus, if only you had been here, our brother would not have died. In fact, John eleven twenty one says just that. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Please notice, though, that as we read that passage, we discover the Lord doesn't rebuke Martha for her words. By the time our Lord arrived in Bethany, it was the fourth day, the day when the ritual of mourning reached its highest point because the body was beginning to decay and there was absolutely no hope, even in the mystical teachings of aspects of Judaism, which believed that the spirit hovered near the body for the first three days. But for Mary and Martha, those words, Lord, if you had been there, perhaps reflect our heart as well. What about you? Do you have some if-onlys that you've been wrestling with? Lord, if only you would have given my loved one more time. Lord, if only you would have saved our marriage. Lord, if only you could have stopped my spouse from becoming an alcoholic. Lord, if only you could have stopped my child from turning away from everything that we hold dear. The cave that held Lazarus' body also held the fear and the grief of Mary and Martha. But through this encounter, we discover the very heart of God as it's displayed in Jesus' tears, as he wept for his friends, and in his anger over how sin had broken the lives of those he loves. Mary and Martha were broken, but they did the one thing that changes even the darkest of circumstances. They took their pain and their hope to Jesus. You can do that as well. You can take those if-onlys to the Lord, and He will meet you right where you are, right in the midst of that hurt, of that disappointment, of that doubt. And if you'll allow Him, He will show you just how much He cares for you. But what is more is that not only does he understand us, not only does he truly care, but he's able to transform that. We need to have faith that reflects Martha. Her pain was incredibly real, but so was her faith. This is what she said in verse 22 of John chapter 11. But even now, whatever you ask from God, I know God will give you. Do you have that kind of faith, that kind of trust? Today in our encounter, we're going to out. And if you'll allow him, he will show you just how much he cares for you. But what is more is that not only does he understand us, not only does he truly care, but he's able to transform that. We need to have faith that reflects Martha. 
Her pain was incredibly real, but so was her faith. This is what she said in verse 22 of John chapter 11. But even now, whatever you ask from God, I know God will give you. Do you have that kind of faith, that kind of trust in Jesus? If not, my prayer is today, after you have an encounter with the Lord of life through his word, that you'll be able to say those same words. Lord, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. And I know that what you desire for my life is best. Martha believed Jesus is who he says he is. And as we explored two weeks ago, how Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, and we saw that Jesus truly understands our deepest pain. He's experienced the full spectrum of human suffering, emotional, relational, physical, and psychological, and even spiritual pain. But the good news is, is that Jesus not only understands our pain, he has overcome it. So let's go to the scripture and let's hear the rest of the story. Because here is where hope breaks through into the darkest, deepest cave that we can imagine. Into that, the cave of death, steps the Lord of life. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. 
Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. to do is to draw your attention to four rock-solid truths that we can anchor our life on based on this passage of Scripture, on this event and this miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, in order to, to really understand exactly what's going on here and to feel the full weight of what's happening, we need to know a little bit about the area that it takes place. It says in the Scripture that this takes place at the village of Bethany. Now, in the Bible, there are two Bethanies that are mentioned. One is the Bethany beyond the Jordan, which is where John the Baptist was baptizing. And then there's this Bethany that is a village that is just four kilometers from Jerusalem. You can see even in the picture, Jerusalem there is in the background and in the foreground is a rendering of what Bethany would have looked like in that day. Bethany is an incredibly significant place. It was likely uh, a community that was administrated by the Essenes, which is a group of people who um, took God's word very, very seriously in how they applied it. But the secret to understanding this is to know the meaning of the name of Bethany. It means the house of the poor or afflicted. And so this particular village was the place where the, where the poor, where the sick, where refugees were able to come and be cared for. It was also a place where lepers could come. In fact, it was the closest to Jerusalem that a leper could come. We discover in the next chapter that Jesus has dinner with a man named Simon who is called the leper here in Bethany. His house was in this village because that's as close as a leper could get to Jerusalem and to the temple. Tradition holds that Simon was a Pharisee or had been a Pharisee, and then he contracted leprosy. But something happened. We don't have the account, but we know because it would have been against the law 
to eat with a leper that Jesus must have healed Simon. And so it is at Simon's house, the man who had been a leper here in Bethany, the house of affliction, the house of poverty, the house of caring for those who are hurting, that Mary later anoints Jesus' feet with perfume and wipes it with her hair. It's a very special place. In fact, when you read through the scripture and you look through the gospel accounts, you discover that this was Jesus' home away from home. Now, Bethlehem, the place where he was born, is approximately the same distance from Jerusalem, but you never read of him going back to where he was born, even though he likely had distant relatives that lived there. But the place Jesus chose to dwell, to make his home as close as he had during his ministry, was the house of misery, the house of affliction, the house of those who are hurting. But Bethany's name was transformed. The village of Bethany still exists today, but it has a new name. In fact, go ahead and put up the the picture of the next one. Today, the village is called Al-Azariah. Now, in case you have trouble trying to remember Al-Azariah, all you need to do is think of the guy who was leading worship today, Alazar, because it's pretty much his name. His name is a version of the name Lazarus, because that's what it means. It was the place of Lazarus. And to this day, the tomb of Lazarus is there. The next picture will show you a modern-day photograph there in Palestine in the West Bank, and you see St. Lazarus' tomb. The house of misery was transformed into a place of resurrection. We were, we were joking, some of the ones who were at the wedding last week, that we saw La, excuse me, Alazar come to new life last Saturday. Now, I don't think he was resurrected from the dead, but there was something that happened when he saw his bride and when they were exchanging their vows where there was absolutely new life in Alazar. And, and so I'm going to think of that from now on when I think of this village And when I think of the person of Lazarus, because God does give new life, and he changed the name of that city. I want you to think for just a moment how significant that is. This is the place where Jesus chose to spend most of his time. His friends lived there, but it also shows you the heart that God has for the broken. Let me give you one more piece to this puzzle that I hope will truly help us see just how significant this location is. Because here, what we discover from this location is that we can truly trust Jesus with our deepest pain. He understands exactly how we feel. Scripture, time and time again, in Isaiah, tells us that he is a man acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows, a man who understands exactly what we've been through. Even his mission statement that's given in Isaiah 61 says that he came up to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn. And to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Jesus, it makes sense that because that's his heart and that's his mission, that this place, this place of suffering would be where he chose to go most often. 
But what I think is most significant is found here in Luke chapter 24. Let me read it to you. Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. And he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. To show you the heart of our Savior, all we need to see is that the last place he wanted his feet to touch on earth before he ascended to heaven was Bethany, was the house of suffering, the house of the poor, the house of the broken. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of love that he has for you and I. So we really can trust God with whatever trial we're going through because he fully understands And just as he changed the name, transformed the name of the village of Bethany to the place of resurrection, the place of Lazarus, which the name Lazarus means God has helped. It means God came to his aid and met his deepest need completely. That's the promise that we have displayed just in the location of this miracle. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Jesus wanted his last moments on earth to be a reminder that he is always with the brokenhearted and the suffering. In fact, his ascension reflects a beautiful passage of scripture in the Old Testament, Isaiah 57, verse 15. Listen to what it says. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Do you see this passage here in Isaiah? Jesus lived out in the town of Bethany. And as he ascended into heaven back to his true home to dwell in the heavens in eternity in the high and lofty place, he says, but I also continue to dwell with those who are humble, those whose hearts are open to me. We can trust God with everything. So that's the first thing that I want you to draw as an application. The second one is this. You can trust Jesus with your eternal soul. He alone saves and he gives life to us both spiritually and physically. He is the one that brings to life those who are spiritually dead, just as he brought to life Lazarus, who was physically dead. The resurrection of Lazarus, it was a turning point in the gospel, and it set in motion two unstoppable forces that could not be deterred from the course that they were on. Number one, the resurrection of Lazarus was the tipping point that pushed the religious leaders to plan to put Jesus to death to take the conversations they had had about this person that was upsetting the order of things and to determine to kill him. The verses that follow right after this story says that some people believed in Jesus because of the resurrection of Lazarus and others went and told the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the priests. And they 
from that moment began to determine how they would put him to death. In fact, it was at that moment that Caiaphas, the high priest, said it is better for one man to die for the people than for the nation to perish. He spoke prophetically of exactly what Jesus would do. And so from this moment, they were determined to kill him. The second unstoppable thing that happened is that the resurrection of Lazarus proved beyond any doubt that Jesus Christ is God. Absolutely proof that he was. The miracles that Jesus and his disciples later performed for all to see attested to a wide range of things over which Jesus had authority. He had authority over the forces of nature, over disease, over demons, over creation, and even over death. In the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran, they discovered some documents that um, unveiled the expectations that Jews in that day and the rabbis that were teaching them had of the Messiah. And in that summary that's there, they discovered that there are four miracles that they expected that only the Messiah, only the one who God would send to be the deliverer, the rescuer, the restorer, the one that was God in the flesh, that he would do. Here are those four miracles, and they all point to Jesus. The four miracles of the Messiah are, number one, healing a leper. Number two, casting out a mute demon. Number three, healing a man born blind. And number four, raising a man who had been considered dead for at least four days. The source of that is a Dead Sea Scroll from Cave 4 that's known as the Messianic Apocalypse. And it's also a highlight that's um, reflected in the Babylonian Talmud of the Jewish literature, but it really just points to what the scripture says. In Isaiah 35, it tells us this, that the Messiah, the Son of God, would do, that the eyes of the blind should be open, that the ears of the deaf should be unstopped, that the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Isaiah 26, 19 says, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Those miracles all pointed to the identity of Jesus as God in the flesh. So let's look at that for just a moment. Why those four miracles? Because Jesus did many miracles, but there's a reason why they had selected those four to be the absolute proof of the Messiah. The first one I want to look at is the healing of a leper. In the Bible, in the, the Torah, which is the first five books, it is understood that God alone inflicts leprosy on a person. We see accounts there where he inflicted leprosy on uh, Miriam, the sister of Moses, and on Naaman later on in, in the scripture. And so it was believed that leprosy was a curse that came from God and therefore only God could heal it. That was their absolute belief. The rabbis taught that, secondly, that only the Messiah could cast out a mute demon, a demon that caused someone to be unable to speak and in this case be unable to hear. Here's why. 
Here's why that was such a significant thing. Because we see several accounts in the scripture of Jesus casting out demons. Well, the religious leaders, um, they had the power and the authority of the Lord. And they could also, at times, cast out demons. But they were incapable of casting out the demon that would cause someone to be mute because of this reason. The practice that they had for exorcism, for casting out a demon, was that they would um, ask the demon its name. And then under the authority of God's name, they would cast it out. But because they couldn't ask it, because it, couldn't, it was making the person who was um, indwelt by the demon, making it so they could not speak, there was no way for them to know the name of the demon. So it was believed that only the Messiah who knew all things, who already knew the name of a demon, could cast it out. And that's why we discover in Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, something very interesting. Let me show it to you. Verse 22. Then that demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him. This is to Jesus. So that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? That's a term, that's a title for the Messiah. The reason that they're asking it is because this is the exact sign they were looking for. Not just the casting out of a demon, but the casting out of one that caused someone to be mute. They knew that the only one capable of doing such a miracle would be the Messiah, the Savior. Thirdly, the rabbis taught that only the Messiah could heal a man who was born blind, who had a birth defect. From the scriptures, they falsely believed that birth defects came from God. In some cases, there was instruction where it showed that it was a result of something that God had done. The birth defects come because of the brokenness of sin and of our world. And Jesus sought to set that right in the healing of the man who was born blind. Let me show it to you in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, it was the understanding of that day, even though it was inaccurate, that anyone who had some kind of birth defect that there was, it was a result of either the parent's sin or the sin of the person. Jesus answered in verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. Jesus was helping them to have a right understanding, and he went on and he healed the man and showed great glory. And again, He met one of the signs that they were looking for that would identify the Messiah. I believe, this is an aside, but I believe that so often our world takes people who have disabilities and birth defects and we see them as something less. I believe God actually sees them as something more. That the canvas of their life is something upon which God's glory can be displayed in the most beautiful of ways. I can think of person after person that has struggled with what the world would refer to as a birth defect, who have far more love, far more tenderness, far more insight and wisdom even 
than all those around them that are normal. And so often they are the very people that bring life when they step into the room. There is a beauty that God paints upon their life so often that we need to remember. That's what he did with the man who was born blind. His life became a canvas upon which the glory of God was displayed. Fourthly, the rabbis taught that only the Messiah could raise a man from the dead after four days. And the reason that that was so significant is because by the fourth day, decay had begun to to inflict the body. The Jews did not embalm the dead, and so the decay process would, would just follow the natural course. And they mystically believed somehow that perhaps the spirit hung around for the first couple of days and maybe a person could be resuscitated. You see, in, in the scripture, Jesus heals um, and raises from the dead two other individuals, but neither one of them had been buried yet. One of them was on their way to the cemetery, but only Lazarus had already been buried and was in the tomb and had been in the tomb for four days. Because according to tradition, they believed that that was beyond any possible hope, that even um, anyone performing a miracle could bring them back to life. Only God could do it. But Jesus used the exact same method that he used to speak creation into existence. He simply spoke and said, Lazarus, come out. And he was restored to life and brought forth. He fulfilled what he had told his disciples earlier in the story in verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Because this miracle specifically identified Jesus as the Son of God. Here's why. Let me give you the absolute proof from Ezekiel chapter 37. Look what it says. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. The promise of God's word was that the sign that would prove that he was with them was someone coming out of the tomb someone who was dead and had already been buried, one of his own people coming back to life. And that's exactly what he did in Lazarus. His name, remember, means God has helped him and it's exactly what he did. And in so doing, he proved his identity beyond all doubt. Jesus taught on this. I want you to, to turn for just a moment. Don't worry, I'm almost, I'm almost done, despite what Dan says, that I go long most all the time. Um, Turn back in your Bibles to John chapter five. I want you to see this from Jesus. This is is one of his most extensive teachings and and he's teaching about something very significant. He's talking about his authority and his union with the Father. In John chapter five, and if you look at this, if you're someone who who really likes biblical knowledge and literature, this passage forms, uh, is is a chiastic structure where it builds to a high point and then comes from that point and, and repeats the same things. It's a structure that's used in Jewish literature that emphasizes the importance of what's being said. 
And I'm not going to take the time to break all that down, but I do want to draw your attention to some of the things that Jesus says here in John chapter 5. Verse 20, he says, For as the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. So he's saying you need to understand that the Father loves Jesus the Son. And the Father is doing incredible miracles all around us. But now he's going to have the Son do the miracles. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's the promise that God is giving us here, that Jesus is saying. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And so he's, he's setting the stage to, under, to help his disciples and us understand that the Father has given him authority over life and death. Jesus himself is salvation. He alone gives eternal life. This is why when he answers Martha in her, in her question, when she responds back to Jesus asking whether or not she knows that her brother Lazarus will rise, she says, I know he will rise in the last day. He'll be resurrected in the last day. And Jesus answers and says, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life is not something that Jesus does. It is not some mystical knowledge that he has. It is who he is. He is our life. He is our resurrection. He is our savior. He is our hope. And Jesus was teaching on that very truth here, showing the authority that the father had given to him. Verse 25 goes on and says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming And now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. How did he bring Lazarus back to life? He spoke it. He simply said, Lazarus, come out. And as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He's showing that God the Father and God the Son are one. The beautiful thing that we see here in this story is that we see the full humanity of Jesus and how he weeps, how he identifies with our struggle, with our brokenness, with our grief. But we also see the absolute divinity of Jesus Christ. Both of his natures come together in this incredible miracle and show us the full spectrum of who Jesus is. That he and the Father are one, that Jesus is God. Verse 27 goes on and says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. Look what he says. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. The exact words he said to Lazarus. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You see, here we see that Jesus is the Lord of life. 
And his promise is that one day soon he will return and he will speak and say, come out and the dead will rise. It's often been noted in this passage that Jesus is very specific when he says and he speaks into that tomb and he calls the name of Lazarus and says, come out. Because if he had just said, come out, every other body in that tomb would have come to life. It was a preview of the resurrection. It was a preview of the promise that we have from God that even though we die physically, God will restore us. He will resurrect us physically and give us life. That's the great hope that we have as followers of Jesus, that he gives us eternal life now and that we have hope even for our bodies, that God will resurrect them and transform them. We can trust Jesus who is the Lord of life with our eternal souls because he alone is the one who gives eternal life. There is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Will you trust him? Will you choose to follow him and believe that God the Father has sent him and give ownership of your life completely to Jesus? Here's how Martha responded to Jesus. And it's the same kind of faith that we are to have. Back in John, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Today, I believe God is asking each and every one of us in this room, do you believe that? And she answered, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That's what God asks from us, is for us to believe. That is the work of a believer, of a Christ follower. Because everything else is dependent completely upon God doing it in us and through us. He simply calls us to believe. We can trust God with our eternal souls. We can trust God with our pain. And because I'm out of time, I'm just going to tell you the last two points. They're important, but we'll, we'll pick them up in the future. The third one is this. You can trust Jesus with your future. Because His plan and his timing is better than our own. Both Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, it would have been different. But then they answered and said, yet even now, whatever you ask of the Father, I know he will give you. You see, they were willing to trust, even though they were hurting, even though their dreams had been crushed in the death of their brother. They knew that they could trust Jesus. He had proven himself to them. And as I've told you many, many times, if we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants and wait for God's timing. We can trust him with our future. And finally, and we'll pick this one up next week, we can trust him with our bodies The scripture has a lot to say about what God does in us and to us in the resurrection. And it should give us great and wonderful 
hope. But I hope at least today that what you see is that this miracle is absolutely packed with beauty. It shows us the very heart of God who chose to not only step into the brokenness of the human condition, but he made his home away from home a house of poverty and of suffering, a house of sickness, a village where all the people who were hurting were free to come and to find comfort and food and nourishment and healing. Jesus chose that to be the last place his feet would touch before he ascended to heaven to remind us he is with us no matter what we face. But we also see in this passage his complete power as God come in flesh, the Lord of life in whom we can place all of our trust. The raising of Lazarus is a glorious picture of what Jesus has done for us spiritually as well. Because the Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But the one who is the resurrection and the life has the power over life and the power over death in his hand and in his word. And he has made us alive together in Christ when we trust in him. Will you trust Jesus with your pain, with your eternal soul, with your plans, and with even your physical being, will you trust him with all that you are today? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you even more for how it displays the beauty and greatness of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, would you speak to each and every person here today? Or wherever they are, whatever they've been through. Lord, many are going through seasons of uncertainty and doubt because, because everything that seems normal has been put on hold. But Lord, you're not on hold. You are just as powerful, just as loving, just as great. And when we choose to trust completely in you and choose to live for your glory and your honor as the Lord of life, and give complete ownership of all that we are to you. Lord, you work no matter what circumstances we face. You are a God who does miracles. Every miracle is an answered prayer. That's why you prayed to the Father in the resurrection of Lazarus. You wanted to show us that every miracle is answered prayer. You wanted to teach us to put our full trust in every circumstance on you. Lord, help us to do that today. Open our hearts and our minds to just trust in you fully. We come before you at the foot of the cross where you proved your love and where you transform our ashes into beauty. Lord, we ask that you would work in the hearts and minds of each person today. In Jesus' name, amen.